you all can be seated. If uh, you have kids, they can uh, be brought through the back and uh, brought over to the children's church across the hall. Um, and one other, I'm trying to do this each week. Um, if, you're, if you're a person who gets cold very easily, you'll want to shift to this side of the room. We have the AC unit off, uh, so it'll be a little bit more comfortable here. Uh, if you're one who stays hot all the time, you, you should be over on this side um, of the room. Uh, I have a letter that I want to I want to read as we kind of open it, and this is a letter that um, I'd I'd sent to our our leadership team when we were dreaming about Sulphur Community Church. Um, we would just we just really kind of cast the idea to our our church leadership where we were at about. Um, the call that God was just really kind of tugging at our hearts to, to plant a church in this neighborhood. Now, um, it was it was important to know. It's it's important to know that uh, we're we're only as a crow flies five miles from the church we're serving. So it, you can understand there were some questions about what are our intentions for planting a church uh, in the backyard of the church we served at uh, and things like that. And and there's there's a there's a whole backstory to that. But I really wanted to to just kind of help our leadership see what we were seeing. Um, and so a, a letter that I typed, and I'll just, I'll read it straight off of the, the email. I'm not going to read the whole thing, just what I sent to him. Um, and then I'll stop at a pretty important part for our time today. It says, over the past three years, uh, we've prayed fervently for God to lead us in the direction he'd have us go in order to bring his kingdom into the North Sulphur community, which is where we are. And additionally, uh, we've read, we've asked, we've listened, we've watched, and we've waited and waited and waited. Man, it seemed like forever. It wouldn't, you know, we wanted to move, but we didn't want to move without God allowing us to move. And so from the very beginning, we knew that this effort of planting the gospel in, in North Sulphur, in this community, uh, would be very unique. Uh, so unique that we didn't really have a model to just go off of um, or an example. And so, however, God has been overwhelmingly clear on, on several fronts. Um, and I'll read, I'll read through three of those fronts. Uh, the first one was, Sulphur Community Church exists to make much of God in our neighborhood and to the nations by reflecting Jesus Christ. That's our foundational belief for why we're here and what we do. Our goal is God's fame. Uh, we believe that there are many in our community who do not worship the one true God, and we believe that he alone is deserving of their praise. And as we see the, in the Gospels, Jesus is our great example of how to make much of God here on earth. He gave us that example. Therefore, we will achieve our purpose when we look most like him. And we believe our participation in his plan must happen both locally and globally. Next, uh, making disciples will be what defines Sulphur Community Church. As with most evangelical churches, uh, the Great Commission is what drives us. Um, to go and make disciples, and we believe that there are many, um, I'm sorry, and however, we will only begin to achieve these commands when we see our labor being multiplied. We talked about that. Some of you were in our new members class this morning. We talked about what, it, what is a disciple. Uh, it's not a person who has been made a disciple. It's a person who is making disciples, and so that's where we felt like we would start seeing some progress. Uh, this disciple reproduction will be the DNA of Sulphur Community Church. Uh, which leads me into the, the, the last part, the last front. Next, healthy leadership will be essential in the success of this disciple-making effort. Accountability must permeate through every layer of Sulphur Community Church, uh, both personally and throughout the ministry. 
This level of accountability is desired and it is welcome. And so I just want to put that before you. The leadership of this church desires a, a, a robust accountability um, and, and, and transparency. Um, and so that's kind of what we communicate to those who would step into leadership. Um, we believe the most effective way to provide the level of accountability and care needed to bear fruit through Sulphur Community Church will come through its leadership. Uh, we are first and foremost under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Through the Holy Spirit's help, we will be multi-headed in leadership as we see this to be the most, most accurately reflected in Scripture. And so we're going to spend our time this morning showing you what I mean by active, like it's reflected very accurately in Scripture about multi-headed leadership. Um, and, and we're going to hit on some, uh, some, some maybe sensitive topics uh, also, but it's necessary that we walk through those for the exercise that we're going to go through today. And, and John Maxwell said this best, and it just, it's so uh, fitting that everything, whether in a church setting, in your, in, at your job, wherever you're employed, everything rises and falls on leadership. Leadership's healthy. Those they lead are healthy. Leadership is unhealthy. Those they lead are unhealthy. So everything rises and falls on leadership. So gospel-centered leadership is going to lead toward gospel-centered people. Uh, Mission-minded leaders are going to produce mission-minded people. Sincere leadership gives rise to sincere people. Kind leadership gives rise to kind people. And vice versa. So unloving leadership gives rise to unloving people. So you see how that goes, and narrow leadership gives rise to narrow people. Stingy leadership gives rise to stingy people, and on and on and on. Everything rises and falls on leadership. So leadership matters. It's an important uh, component of any organization, especially um, the church. And so today is a special one. Many of you are here for a very special reason, uh, that we will see additional leaders um, both to the office of the elder as well as the office of deacon, uh, given to our church family, uh, that God has given us these, these leaders. Um, but before we receive these leaders, uh, our, our team felt like uh, we should rehash some things that we went through uh, back in November of 2015. It's been a little while, uh, but we spent five weeks talking about church leadership. Um, and it's important that we kind of recap some of that stuff today so that you know kind of where we're headed and how we're going to be led. And as we begin, I want, to, I, I want the, the most important thing to kind of be set out front, the most important thing to remember, including for, for the leaders also to remember, is that for those of you, uh, both elder and deacons, who are, are being installed today, uh, God is much more concerned about the work that he's doing in you rather than the work that he's going to do through you. So that's important for us as leaders. It's important for you to know that, that God is way more concerned about your heart than he is about what you can produce or what you can do or how you can lead. He's way more concerned about what he's doing in you, in your heart, in your life than what he's going to do through you, through your leadership. And so when Jesus is working in your life, when God is doing something in your heart, the results are love, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, right? All the fruits of the Spirit are there when God is working in your heart. And those are some enormous pieces of evidence for us to see healthy leadership. Like, how do we know our leadership is healthy? Well, let's look at the fruits of the Spirit. Are these things uh, being replicated in, in, in a leader's life? But also, I'll add humility. 
repentance, obedience. All of these things are what the church needs from their leadership. All of this. And so we're going to recap. Here's how it's going to go today. Uh, again, I told you we covered this in five weeks uh, that we're going to condense into one day, uh, one moment. And so we're going we're gonna to hit some high-level stuff. I, I strongly encourage you to go to our website and listen to the leadership sermon series. Uh, because I'm going to hit high-level stuff today, but there's a lot more information that you need to know that you need to um, that that'll help reinforce some things that I that I say today. Uh, so the way we're going to do this today, uh, we're going to look at the biblical basis for elder. And when I say the word elder, it's synonymous with overseer, pastor. Some churches might call it a bishop, but these they're they're all synonymous terms. An elder is an overseer in the church, a pastor in the church. So we're going to look at the biblical basis for that. Where, do we, where does that even come from in the Bible? What does the Bible say about that? And then we're going to look at, well, who's qualified for that? What are the qualifications for that role that you're talking about? And then we're going to talk about the biblical basis of deacons, which is a more familiar term for probably many of us. Uh, the biblical basis for deacons, what does the Bible say about that? Where is that at? And then what are the qualifications? How do we qualify someone as, as a deacon? A big thing you need to take note of is that these two are separate roles, offices, and they function in different ways. And we're going to talk some about that, but a lot of you are probably familiar with them, those two roles just kind of meshed into one, depending on your background and where you come from. Uh, we're here to kind of just draw the line and, and, and show you in Scripture that these are two very separate offices that serve one another and serve uh, the church. And so... In the process of this, like I said, we're going to touch on some pretty sensitive things, uh, some things that you may not agree with. I may say some things, and, and, and you might see how things go down around here today, and you'll say, no, I don't believe that or whatever. That's fine. What I want to do is really put before you what God's Word says, what we believe God's Word says. Uh, and so that's where we're going to go today, and I'm going to do my best to explain clearly and accurately what we believe the Bible has to say. So the elder is where we'll go first. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 20. We're going to be jumping through between Acts and, and 1 Timothy. Uh, so if you want to just kind of mark those two places, we'll be there most of the time today. Acts chapter 20. Um, the, the gospel writer Luke also wrote the book of Acts. Uh, this is a, a, an account of how the, the, the church was born. Uh, when Jesus was ascended into heaven, um, he, left the, he left his, his apostles there to, and, and birthed the church through the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and that is the account. And here in chapter 20, he captures uh, a letter that uh, the apostle Paul actually wrote to the elders at Ephesus. So this isn't the same as the letter to the Ephesian church. Paul addressed the church in the letter of, to the Ephesians. But here in chapter 20, he, he writes a letter strictly to the elders of the church at Ephesus. And he says this, Now from uh, Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the, pl the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God 
and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So I'm off, off my notes for just a second. That's what we want to see in a leader. I could be headed toward death, but if it's, if it's for the sake of the gospel advancing and the church growing, I'm, I'm in. I'll go give my life for that. So, so just take note of what Paul's writing here. And then he says, but I do not account my life. This is leadership 201 right here. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only that I might finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring you the whole counsel of God. And here's the part where we're going to kind of spend our time today. He says this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert and remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all, all those who are sanctified. So I point us to these verses. Uh, because I believe they give us a great um, understanding for what apt attributes are found in an elder. Right? You see all those things. I, my life, I don't count it as of any value except that Jesus be made known, that the gospel would advance, and that the church would just flourish. Right? That's, that's an attribute of a leader. That I don't know where I'm, he- where I'm headed with my own life, but I know what God's entrusted to us, and we're going to go that way. The vision that God has given us for Sulphur Community Church, life or death, we're going that way. And that's what we want our leaders to, we want our leaders to point us uh, in that direction. And so just maybe a 30,000 foot view of, if I could summarize our five-week leadership series in one phrase, which is impossible, but I'll give it a shot, is that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the head of Sulphur Community Church. It's not me. It's not David, it's not Trent, nor anyone else. Jesus Christ runs the show. And so we, we obey him, we submit to his authority. And Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says, He is the image, talking about Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities or elders or deacons or leaders or people who just aspire to be anybody. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All of us, including the elders, the leaders, submit to the authority of Scripture, which testifies to who Jesus is and how he wants us to live. Every one of us submit to that. Elders are a part of the church family. 
They're, they're, they're among our church family that God, that God would call to rise up uh, and, and qualify and, and deploy for leadership purposes. And so they're appointed by you, the church family, as well as the elders, through the leading of the Holy Spirit. Right? We saw that uh, in, in our text already. Like After someone demonstrates both what we would call eagerness and evidence, those two things are what we talked about in our leadership uh, series, that when we're talking about elders, there's two things that we would see, and that's eagerness uh, and aspiration to serve, uh, and, and obviously there's, uh, there's um, evidence like that we see that this, this person is qualified for this. So there's really no campaigning for this role. Um, as a matter of fact, if someone were to campaign for this role, it would probably disqualify them from this role. It's not something that you just kind of run for uh, some type of office. The word elder, just to add to that, um, never shows up in Scripture in the singular form. And this is important. This is something that's shifting. Is why we say we feel like we need to be multi-headed in leadership because we never see uh, the elder at the church of Ephesus. Right? We never see... The, the elder at the, at the church in Galatia. It's elders, always, never singular. And so what that means is this isn't, this isn't like a dictatorship, right? It's not one person ruling over everything else and calling the shots and everything else. There are threads uh, woven together of accountability and transparency among our leadership. Um, and so at the same time, let me, for some of you, let me, let me maybe touch a sensitive area. At the same time, you never see the church in the New Testament being overseen or led by a majority vote or a popular consensus from the congregation. You don't see that either, right? And so I know from my background where I come from, like, we need a new broom, but we need the church to give us the approval for the new broom, <laughs> right? That's, that's kind of my background, right? We never see the church led that way in the New Testament. We see clear authoritative, Jesus Christ the head, elders of the church who are, who are submitted to Jesus Christ and, and committed to, to leading the church to, to worship him. That, that's what we see in the New Testament. So where are these checks and balances for these elders, right? Where, how do we know that they're not going to go like far right or far left and, and, and drive us in the ditch here? How can we trust our leadership? Well, it lies within that pluralistic nature of the office, right? If I start acting crazy, I would expect the elder team around me to address me about that. If my, if my thinking, if my theology starts going in left field, I would expect for them to sit down and have a conversation with me about that. That's where the accountability is built in. And so it's very, very um, uh, risky to not have multi-headed leadership, right? Because you can see how that could be taken um, in a different direction. So elders are never referred to in the singular and are always mentioned in the plural form and its own purpose. It's for that reason. And verse 28 of Acts 20, it says, pay careful attention to yourselves and, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So elders are called and equipped by God to serve this church that Christ gave his very life for. And they do that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the leading, the prompting, the calling, and the power of the Holy Spirit. It says, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Man, in that gospel, right? That Jesus bought the church with his own blood. And Trent, it's up to us to care for, for the church because that's how much Jesus Christ cares for the church. And so some of your Bibles might say to shepherd. 
Um, how many of your Bibles might say to shepherd instead of to care? Those, you, they, they, they use those words the same way. You might have a footnote that says that. Um, and, and that's the same word as pastor, to care for, to shepherd, to pastor, to lead. And every pastor's favorite uh, verse, passage in Scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's our favorite one because the church always seems to think that they were given leaders to do this work, and they were, you were actually given leaders so that you could be equipped to do this work. And so to shepherd this family is to care for this family by feeding you and leading you with the word of God. That's what an elder does. That's his main role. Uh, they shepherd primarily through prayer and through teaching. Those are the two primary roles of an elder. Um, and the elders instruct the church in the word. And when I say instruct in the word, what I mean is uh, obviously instruction, but exhortation, admonishment, equipping. Like that's the things that happen uh, and that an elder is responsible for. It says, now commend you to God and to the word of his grace, verse 32, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I love this because... I would consider this one of the primary roles of elders in the church. Like you see this inseparable status between the calling of an elder and the word of grace. Like it's, it's connected, right? That the word of grace is what validates the calling of the, of the man, right? It's the, it's the word of grace that validates his calling. And it is this word of grace that preserves this role. Like it's, it's, it's interwoven there. So if an elder is not interwoven with God's word, it doesn't matter what you call him. It doesn't matter how you title him. He is not fit to lead the church. He has to be interwoven into the word of grace. Like that, this is our, this is our map. This is our navigator. This is everything. We're lost without God's word and, and his grace. And so that's, we have to be closely interwoven to that. And so there's many false doctrines um, in the world today, both inside and outside of the church, um, of the Christian faith, and the elders must be equipped and equip others to preserve this word. Um, and so we do that all kinds of ways. Um, just teach you how to study the Bible. Uh, we try to be faithful to show you every text in Scripture uh, so we don't you know, when we're walking through the Gospel of John right now, uh, 37 week, our 37th series, our, our part will happen next week, right? So, and we're only halfway through. We're, we want to put a light on every, uh, every word uh, of Scripture, and that's how we feel like we can equip others to preserve it, as well as um, our, our own ministry preserving this word. So this is our biblical basis for installing elders how do we identify who they are what is the qualifier what's the qualifications for that can anybody be an elder or is anybody able to be one and so we ask two questions uh, first are there men among us who have this eagerness to serve in this role right you see that in verse uh, if you flip over to first uh, timothy chapter three uh, that's where we're going to be uh, for for a little time in verse one it says the saying is trustworthy and if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So you see that there's this eagerness, there's this 
uh, aspiration for someone to serve. And so the, the, uh, the first question based on First Timothy is, do we have one or more among us who are showing this kind of eagerness and understanding that it is a noble role, that it's a noble task, that it's not to be taken lightly? And the second question is, are they qualified? Is someone ha- are, they, are they eager to serve in that role? And number two, are they qualified to serve in that role? So scripture gives us two qualifiers. Two qualifiers for an elder. Easy enough, right? One, they must be above reproach. First Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 2, first part of that says the overseer must be above reproach. So this is one of two qualifiers for the office of elder is to be above reproach at a minimum, be above reproach. And so what does that mean? How do we define above reproach? One qualifier. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. One qualification. Easy enough, right? So I want to break that down a little bit because that's what it means to be above reproach, all of those things. Paul would just kind of go through the list and say, here's what it means. It says, like, okay, so let me just kind of maybe set a premise out there. This doesn't mean that uh, the elder has to be uh, just sinless, right? Like he's holy and perfect. That's not what's happening here. Uh, If one comes before us and says, I'm sinless, he's disqualified because he's a liar. Um, And it is essential that the church uh, leaders be a certain type of person because this like the gospel is, is on the line here. Like a clear presentation, a clear declaration of the gospel is on the line, right? So we have to have a certain type of person here that God has, has given us. And so how does one stay above reproach? How does one uh, uh, go above reproach? Well, the first thing it says is his marriage is in order. Like his marriage isn't a wreck. Things aren't falling, off, uh, uh, falling apart at home. And I, I'm going to tell you this. We pulled all the stops when we went through our leadership series about a proper interpretation of that verse, the husband of one wife. Sadly, many qualified people have been disqualified because of misinterpretation of that verse. And I strongly encourage you to go back and listen because we tried to explore every single avenue of what that meant. What could that possibly mean? And here's the most likely interpretation that we've we've landed, the conclusion that we arrived at is that the elder must be faithful to his wife. He must be faithful to his wife. A one-woman man. He's literally a one-woman man and the emphasis is on the one and speaks about the faithfulness and refers to the fidelity within his relationship with his wife. And we, again, we've, we've explored, there's probably numerous other possibilities that you should go back and listen to. But that's the most likely interpretation. It also says uh, that the elder is self-restrained, right? He must be temperate. He, he must be calm. He must be vigilant. He must be well-ordered and modest and virtuous. 
Uh, he has a ministry. It says that he has a ministry. He is actively hospitable, right? That's what that means. Like this, this man has, has a ministry. He's hospitable. He's able to teach, which is different than available to teach, right? He's able to teach. He's one who, with the scriptures, is able to encourage people, to comfort people, to challenge, to instruct, to rebuke, to equip with the word. And these are all positive qualities that Paul lists, right? And then he turns the, turns the title a little bit and he says, and here's what they're not to be. He says, they're not to be dependent on alcohol. Now, I want to be clear, Scripture never calls for total abstinence from alcohol. What he says here, as a matter of fact, I, I'd say the Scripture in some cases might encourage it a little bit. Uh, praise God. But, but the reality is, when misused... Um, alcohol, you, you know this, can be a destroyer um, that leads to the destruction of everything around you. I don't know, many of you um, may, may have a family member who has struggled with alcoholism. Maybe you in this room might struggle with alcoholism, a dependency on alcohol, and you know what it costs. You know what it costs. And so... Paul would say he's not to be dependent like that on alcohol. He's not to be just can't live without it kind of guy. He's not to be violent, right? He's, he's not to be contentious or enraged or untamed, but he needs to be reasonable. He needs to be thoughtful. He needs to lend generous treatment to other people. He has to be gentle. He needs to be a peacemaker. And he's not to promote bickering. He's not to be quarrelsome gossiping and backbiting. He's to be a good steward. This is a deadly poison in the church. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so he's to be a good steward. He's not to be a lover of money. He's not to chase after that and give himself over to that. Be a good steward. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to dignity. We'll kind of break that down into a few forms later in our, in our time this morning. But keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for uh, God's church? And that's just, that's just reality. If, I'm, if, if things are out of control at home, if I don't have, uh, if I don't have control at home, it's going to be nearly impossible for me to lead God's church in an organized and God-glorifying way. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit. He needs maturity. The elders, one who's had, have, he ha, who has maturity. And moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. That's important. Your reputation goes before you. Regardless of how you think or what you, your actions say a whole lot. And so he's to be well thought of by outsiders. His reputation has gone before him. Not only does he say, but his life lines up with what he says. He's not a hypocrite. And so all of these are what it means to be above reproach. That's the first qualifier, all those things. <laughs> I read those sometimes, and I'm telling you, I'm personally convicted. I'm like... I got to go tell them I'm like, I got to sit out a while. You know, like some of these things are really convicting to, to those who, who lead. But the second qualifier is this one. 
that elders are to be men. Elders are to be men. We have no scriptural evidence whatsoever of elders who were women. This is very important because we need to draw the distinction between elders and deacons here. We have to talk about this. That of all the places we've looked in the role of elder, they've all indicated male leadership. And this is not an issue of equality or superiority. Uh, It's not about worth and it's not about value. It's about organizational structure. Right? It's God isn't, he's, he's, it's an organizational structure. Someone has been given the responsibility that someone else comes under. And this happens in everyday life. Everyday life. The responsibility of elders has been given to the men. And that's, that's what the Bible would, would teach us. And we're going to go through that, uh, show you why we come up with that. Um, and if I can just interject something uh, that I've learned over time is that a woman who is under healthy spiritual leadership, whether in her home or whether in her church family, she doesn't feel she doesn't feel oppressed, she doesn't feel devalued, and she doesn't feel inferior under healthy leadership. Another supporting piece that would lend me to believe that the role of elder is exclusively um, toward to, to male leadership is the reference of husband in the text. It says, you know, husbands, you know, let's go back to the scripture uh, where it says the husband of one wife. Uh, so it, it, it refers to uh, the male leadership here. And it's in, now it's important to point that out, that, that here in this part of scripture, it says he's to be the husband of one wife, because when we move to the basis of deacons and how their roles are distinguished, you'll see that then, those, then they become, uh, they're contrasting then. We, we talk about wives or women in that one, where here we don't talk about the role of a, a, a wife of an elder, so to speak. So it was strictly addressing uh, the men. And so when Paul writes in chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, just a chapter before, uh, this is a very controversial one. I'll just go ahead and dump it on you here. It says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. I would get shot today if I read that verse out in public. That's pretty controversial. Now, you need to go to our series and listen to the leadership talks on this, but what we've concluded, and what I understand Paul to say here, is that I do not permit women to fill the office of elder in the church. That's, that's how I interpret that. I do not believe that Scripture prohibits a woman from leading and teaching. First, uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 3, would instruct the older women to teach the younger women. Timothy himself was likely taught and discipled by his mother and his grandmother. So Scripture gives us lots of examples of where women are leading and teaching. And God has gifted all believers in several different ways that are necessary for the church to thrive. And so what I would say, if you ask me what I believe that was saying is that Scripture prohibits a woman from exercising authority over men in the church. That's, that's how I read that. Women don't serve as elders. Women don't exercise authority over the men in the church. Men and women are equally made in the image of God. And equality does not remove the distinctions between manhood and womanhood. Or their roles. So I would hope that we feel the way to that. 
And again, if, you, if that just kind of really kind of sticks something in your side and you're just like completely offended by that, please go and listen to our talks on this. We spent a lot of time talking about that, but that is our conclusion. We have such an overwhelming responsibility and a deep, deep love for the church that Jesus bought with his blood. And we want to be as faithful as we possibly can be. Christ bought the church with his own blood. There's no room for us to be nonchalant. There's no room for us to be, oh, that was just, that's irrelevant for today, right? That was back in those times. It's irrelevant for today. All of Scripture is relevant for all of time and all of places and for all people. And there's no room for us to just be passive about it. God has called leadership to the church to prepare her for the day when he comes back for her. And so many times we, we deface the bride of Jesus or we pick at her sores or we gossip about her. And God's called us to prepare her. Like I'm coming back for my bride and I want you to prepare her. I want her to be beautiful on that day. I don't want her to be all confused and I don't want her, to, her hair to be all messed up and her to be dirty and full of sores. I want you to care for her and cause her to flourish and protect her and lead her well. And so I'm going to call up Trent uh, at this time, Trent and Heather, if you guys would just come and stand here. And, and the way we're going to do this is we're going to... Um, I would also invite the family, uh, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa. Would y'all come stand with Trent and Heather? Um, and, and as we do... Um, the way this is going to look, Trent has been uh, one who, whom you, the church, has asked us to consider uh, as elder. They've, uh, and Trent brought his whole family, <laughs> by the way. He said he promised he only invited mom and dad, but mom and dad got a little crazy on the text message. <laughs> and um, so uh, we've... We've examined Trent. You've examined Trent over the course of the better part of a year, if not longer. Um, and we were looking for those two qualifiers, right? Two qualifiers. One is that he's above reproach. And the other is that he's a man. <laughs> and and, and uh, to, to this day, he's, um, he's just really met those qualifications plus some. He's just really been... Um, a, a blessing to this church and a blessing to, to, to us as, as leaders. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask David to come up. We're going to pray over this family, over, over Trent. Um, and as David starts praying, I would just like to invite anyone else who would want to come up and just lay your hands on Trent as we pray. If you feel led to pray for him, do that. Um, but this is what we see in Scripture where the church would lay hands on their, their leaders and pray for them. So I'm going to invite anybody who would, who would feel led to do that to come as David uh, prays for him. So David, you could go ahead. I'm going to pray for him. Before you guys go see, we're going we're to pray for him one more time. Father, we, um, God, we praise you for answered prayers. God, before the foundation of the world, you had prepared a work. Um, that we pray, God, we are faithfully walking in. 
God, you've prepared a work for Trent before the foundation of the world that he and Heather would walk in them. I pray that, Father, we would remain faithful to the call, that Jesus would be lifted up, that, God, you would be glorified. And on the day that the kingdom of heaven touches the king of earth for the final time, that Trent would hear the words, well done, way to serve, way to be faithful. Even in the dark days, even on the days where you were standing on top of the world, way to be faithful. So I pray that over, over Trent now, and I pray that over uh, Heather as this is very much a, a call to her also, Father. Father, I pray that through the leadership and the accountability and the giftedness that you've provided for the leadership of this church, I pray that Trent and Heather would thrive in that, that they would grow uh, more in the likeness of you, falling more and more in love with Jesus. God, thank you for giving us a leader who demonstrates a supernatural ability to be grateful, to be humble, to be full of joy, to be repentant, to be obedient, and who has a deep love for the church. God, would you raise up more like him? Would you give us more like him? We love you, Jesus, and we thank you that you entrust us with your bride this way. May we be found faithful in the end. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Trent, what, what God has called you to, you cannot do by yourself. I'm so thankful that the Word of God gives us um, a group of elders, right? Some that, that we don't have to do it by ourselves. I can tell you right now, and I've said this before, if it all landed on me, this place would be a hot mess. I'm thankful for people like Trent and for David and others who help lead and, st and stir and guide uh, and steer and shepherding and serving a community of believers. Trent is not just learning more Bible. It's not just, it's, it's that, but it's, it's not only that. And shepherding and serving a community of believers is not just to facilitate a way for us to have great church services and to get more people to come it's equipping workers for the harvest. That's the role. That's the charge. That's what you've been entrusted with. That's what I've been entrusted with. And I just want you to remember how the, how the message started, right? That Jesus is the head of Sulphur Community Church. It's not Trent. It's not Blake, and it's not David. And this harvest that we're to be equipping workers for is a harvest full of broken and rebellious people who need someone to point them to Jesus. 
I need someone to point me to Jesus. We need someone to point us to Jesus. And you can do that with your leadership and with your service. A leader, again, is part of a flock, right? Part of the fold, part of the family, which means you're going to get dirty at times, which means you're going to get lost at times, which means you're going to be helpless at times, which means you need a shepherd too. I need a shepherd too. Leaders need shepherds too. So I want to move on to the role of deacon. And we're going to talk about that. And, and I just can't stress enough the, the, the clear line between those two differences of elder and deacon. Um, and I want to just turn our attention to 1 Timothy chapter 3 where we were. And looking at verse 8, it goes on to talk about the role of deacon. And we're going to do the same thing that we did with elder. We're going to talk about the biblical basis for deacons. Uh, and then we're going to look at the qualifications for a deacon. So look with me at verse 8. It says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. There is this undeniable distinction between elders and deacons. Depending on your background, you may be more familiar with the deacon and less familiar with the elder, like I said when we started. Um, and, and so that's why we're handling this with such clarity and with such care. Um, and intentionality because we saw where the elders are primarily over the spiritual care of the church. Then we're going to get into these next verses where the qualifications for deacons are laid out and we'll see that they primarily oversee the physical care for those in the church family. And I'm going to spend some time explaining the biblical basis for the office of deacon and their qualifications much like I did, um, but I'm also going to spend a good portion of our time dispelling any misunderstandings about the office of deacon and our beliefs on that role, on the role of deacons. And verse 8 says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Sounds pretty familiar, right? And then the, but the word deacon, right, that's an unfamiliar term. We need to talk about that. It literally means servant, right? Deacon means to serve, literally. So it's, I want to say that because it's kind of an unusual term. We kind of only hear it in the church. You don't hear it elsewhere. But in this context, it was a very common word. And it really meant to like wait on someone, to wait tables, right? That's what deacon meant, to really just be a servant, uh, to be a server. Um, and so I want to emphasize that behind that title, behind that role, before it's any of those other things, it's a heart that loves to serve people. That's what a deacon is. A person who has a heart for loving people and serving people. They are servants whom the church has set apart to lead the effort in caring for the needs of its members. Um, it says deacons are dignified, right? And that's similar to being above reproach. Dignified means deacons are constant, right? They, 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 don't, they don't say one thing with one crowd and say something else with another crowd. They're constant. They, they're, they're not hip, hypocritical, 
De- uh, dignified means that deacons don't need to drink. It's the same thing we talked about with elders. Right? Again, this doesn't mean total abstinence from alcohol. It, it means that they're not controlled by it, that they don't need it or have to have it. A deacon shouldn't be addicted to alcohol or anything else for that matter, and any one of us shouldn't be addicted to anything else for that matter. Dignified means deacons don't take from someone else for personal gain. They're generous, and they, they give even, even if it hurts, they give. The office of deacon was created primarily to serve and love the poor and the marginalized. If, if, you, if you can get there quick, Acts chapter 6 says that, or it'll be on the screen. Now in these days, here's where the office of deacon was kind of born uh, in the early church. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Because see, the church functioned in this real peculiar way where if there was any need that they would do whatever it took to, make, to meet the need, right? If they had to go sell their property, if they had to go get rid of anything so that the, that the whole church didn't have a need, that's what they would do. Man, isn't that a beautiful thing, right? And so what was happening was that the church was growing, right? Funny thing, you love people well and, and they want to be with you, right? And so it says... They were being neglected in the daily distribution, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. You see now where the role of elder and the role of deacon start to separate. It's not right that we busy ourselves with this. Our primary role is prayer and teaching, right? And so we need to focus on those two, but we can't because there's a lot of physical needs in the church that need to be met. So, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Deacons sacrificially serve others because these are people who realize their own poverty, their own need, their own depravity. Just find someone who's full of the spirit, who knows Jesus, who understands the grace of God. Find those people because they understand what it means to be needy. Right? And they know the main, the main thing that someone needs is Jesus. And so pick some guys that can do that for you. They also know that in Christ that they're adopted, they're welcomed into his family, and that's the, communi- that's, that's the, the clear line of communication that, that all of leaders, uh, the church leaders should be communicating. And it says, you, like, like verse 9 says, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Right? What's the mystery of the faith? Well, generally, it's the gospel, but he would tell us in verse 16, just a few verses down, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. I'm going to hold fast to that. Embrace the gospel. Believe on the gospel. Throw your life on that truth. That Jesus was manifested, was God manifested in the flesh, who, who was vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, and is continuing to be proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. The heartbeat of all of our service, especially the deacons, is rooted in Jesus. That's the heart of all of our serving. Verse 10 would say, and let them also be tested first. And we're going to come back to this verse in a minute because we have 
some more business to take care of, and so you want to mark that. And let them also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. And so this testing, it's like David prayed over Trent, like this is an ongoing test, right? Let them test, but let them be continuing to be tested. And the standard by which we're going to test the deacon is no less than that of the elder, right? They are dignified. They do not participate or provoke slander. They are sober-minded. They are faithful in all things. And verse 11 says, Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And at a first glance, there seems to be no confusion with this verse, right? It's just very evident. But this is one highly debated verse in Scripture. How many of your Bibles actually say women and not wives? Show of hands. Got one. Anybody else? Two. Three. How many, four, how many of you have a footnote that might say women? We're kind of in a conundrum. And the debate is centered around that word. Women, wives, what's it saying here? The word literally means women. Women. Many translators would say that this word could mean wives. Our English translation of the Bible is nearly split in half. Depending on which English version of the Bible you have, might say women, might say wives. All of our Bibles are likely to have a footnote of some sort saying it could be this or it could be that. So whether it's translated wives or whether it's translated women, um, this verse, in this verse exists no grounds to qualify nor disqualify a woman for the office of deacon. So my question then is, because we, like, we can't take that verse and say, uh, you know, where it says uh, women uh, likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. That doesn't really kind of give us the information we need to get a good, clear understanding of that. Um, so the question would be, um, would it be right for Sulphur Community Church to install or not to install women to the office of deacon? Let me, let me ask the question that we all should really ask whenever we run into something troubling. Does the Bible give reference to women serving in this capacity? Like that's a, a very obvious question, but a lot of times we, we don't get there. So do we have instruction or example of this taking place? And let me remind you that biblical doesn't always mean preferential. Preferential doesn't always mean biblical, right? Sometimes we would prefer to go this way when the Bible isn't very clear or it is very clear and we just decide to go this way. And don't think that that's like something new. Like we see this all the time where, well, just to be on the safe side, we're going to, this is our preference. This is our route to go just to be on the safe side. Make sure we don't miss anything. I, had a, I asked this question a long time ago when I was trying to understand the Bible better, and I was still trying to understand this thing better. But um, why, you know, based on what we know about Scripture, I asked the, the obvious question, can a woman be a deacon? And the, the guy told me the answer was, this is a pastor, he said, well, it, just to be on the safe side, we're, we're not going to install women as deacons. So, man, well, what if they're gifted? Like, what if God's given them the gift to serve, right? 
Um, and so, so I'm saying that because it's, it, it's, it's been my experience that we tend to take a preferential road rather than a biblical road. And so for most of us, this preferred route has seen, so, so many of you may be familiar with deacons sitting in the position of both elder and deacon, right? They're trying to fill both of those roles as, as one group of people. Um, and in this case, you end up with a predicament, right? We've asked deacons to serve with the authority of an elder. So can we put a woman in that spot? Well, no. Not if you're asking a deacon to take on the responsibility and, and give them the authority of an elder. So we're forced to exclude women from the office of deacon because there's a misplacement of authority in the church. Which is why we're trying to draw a very clear line and a clear distinction between these two offices. But when we approach the role from a biblical perspective, we get some really, really good news for the church. I think it's really good news. So the question is not, should we install deacons who happen to be female? The, the question should be, does the Bible mention women deacons? Literally, servants. Does the Bible mention women servants? Likely, yes. And I don't know where you fall. I'm spending a lot of time because I know the culture I live in, right? And I understand the background where many of you come from, and a lot of this may just kind of rub you the wrong way, but I want to show you a few reasons why I believe that the Bible does give us example. One, that word deacon, uh, just to kind of maybe get a little technical for you, uh, for you just a little bit, it really has no gender distinction, right? Diakonos, it can be a masculine or a feminine um, form. So the word itself doesn't really sell it, for, sell it for us. Like we can't just take that word and say, well, that, it's in the masculine form or it's in the feminine form. So you can't really take that word and, and and come to some type of settled agreement on it. So look with me again on verse 11. It says, um, wives or women, whichever your scripture says, likewise must be dignified. Not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. So this could be the wives of deacons, which is what I was taught. That verse meant wives of deacons, which could be. Uh, but it could also be women deacons. And I would suggest that the latter is... Uh, correct, because there's no reference to wives when we're talking about the elder, right? We didn't have instruction for Heather in our scriptures about, well, if we're going to ask a deacon's wife to act a certain way, wouldn't you want the elder's wife to act a certain way also? But we don't have any reference to that. So it's kind of leaning more likely that we're, we're talking about women here. Women. Instead of wives. And so we've established uh, that women aren't candidates for the office of elder in the New Testament because of its authoritative function, right? That it, it has authority over men and the teaching and the oversight. The absence of the reference to women in verse 1 through 7, that would be expected, right? If we understand that, then that would be expected. So this confirms the likelihood that reference to women in verse 11 is to women deacons and not merely just wives of deacons. So that's another reason. A third reason that the deacons are distinguished from the elders and that they are not a governing body of the church, right? They don't have the, uh, that, uh, that authority over the church. Uh, and they're not charged with the duty of authoritative teaching. So those two things, authority and teaching, aren't necessarily asked of by the deacons in Scripture here. 
So the role of deacon seems not to involve anything that Paul taught uh, in 1 Timothy 2.12, right? Well, we looked at that a while ago where a woman needs to be submissive in all things and I'm not letting her speak or she don't need to exercise any authority. Um, so, so we can see now that he's not talking about deacons in, in that part. Now, does a Bible, so at the end of it all, so there's a bunch of technicalities, right? I just kind of threw some at you. But at the end of it all, does the Bible reference women as deacons in the New Testament? Romans chapter 16. If you haven't gone there yet, you can go there. Verse, two, I comm- verse 1, I commend, you, commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So it appears that the role of deacon is such a nature that nothing stands in the way of women's full participation of it. That word servant, Phoebe, a servant of the church, is the exact same word in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, diakonos. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church, a diakonos of the church. Isn't that something? So we do have a biblical example where a woman has served in this role. So now I I want us to just remember that there are some situations and some circumstances where it's probably not appropriate for a a woman to serve in, in a particular situation, but... So it is with a man, right? So it is with male leadership. Sometimes it's just not appropriate. I can remember when, when we were first installed as deacons, uh, it was appropriate for my wife to serve in some of the capacity and, and for me to kind of take a back seat. And, and I, we won't get any particulars, but you could just use your imagination. That, you know, if, if we're ministering to a woman, it's, it's really, really, really helpful for my wife to be there. Really helpful. And so at the end of it all, there's no place in Scripture. Listen to me. There's no place in Scripture that prohibits a woman from serving. And if there were, if there were, then we'd be out of line right now. The literal translation for the word diakonos, deacon, is a servant. Are there women serving in our church? Everywhere. Thank God. Thank God. So if the Bible prohibits a woman from being a servant, I need for all you ladies to have a seat and we'll, we'll call you if needed. But we know that's not right. God has gifted every believer with ways to serve and ways to be a servant. But if we convolute those two, if we take deacon and say, we don't know a whole lot about this whole overseer elder thing, so you just kind of, you call the shots, right? You're the deacon guy, you call the shots. The deacons are the authoritative function in the church. It, then it becomes distorted. Then, then we can't, you're right, we can't put women as deacons. We can't install women as deacons because they have an authority over the men in the church, and Scripture's clear about that. I hope you've seen um, something new today about that, uh, but I hope for some of you it might just be confirmation to verse 12 
Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. Again, we find the qualifications for a deacon are no less than that of the elders. Faithful to one woman, able to lead and manage his family well. If they are not doing this in their homes, the predictable outcome is it will not happen at church. So if you want to write this down, it's going to be on the screen. Y'all can leave it up for a minute. This, the definition, if I can just summarize in a definition what deacon is, is a man or woman appointed by the church who reflects Jesus' heart of compassion, mercy, and service to the poor, the suffering, and the marginalized within our family and our community. That's the summarized definition of what Sulphur Community Church believes a deacon is and how they're to serve and how they're to function. So I want to call up those who um, have been brought before us as deacons, those who are going to be installed today, if you would come up with your families also. And I want you to, as you come up, as you guys come up, y'all come on, um, that I want to remind you as well, just like I reminded just like I reminded Trent that Jesus is the head of Sulphur Community Church, right? That Jesus... Um, is the head of our church, and you guys are not the head of our church. Um, one of the defining characteristics of a deacon is compassion. Like, you must have compassion, and obviously our church family has seen that in a way that's, that's unique, that you lead out with actively. Compassion, a lot, uh, some of our church, we've defined compassion for our church, but if you're here visiting with us or you are new, uh, compassion literally means to suffer together, to enter into someone's pain with them in an effort to relieve their pain. So compassion is more than just feeling sorry for someone. Compassion is more than just kind of doing something to get them out of your face. It's saying, I'm going to walk with you through this until you're done hurting. And that's what the, the, a characteristic of a deacon is. And our church family has asked you guys to take the lead on that. Um, has asked you to, to pay attention, to have the ball, um, so, that we, uh, that, so that we all are cared for, but, but importantly, that those who are in need are cared for. So I'm going to ask David and Trent, would you guys come up? And Trent, I would like for um, friends and family, again, we're, we're going to do this exercise once more. So if you want to come up and, and pray with us, I'll ask Trent to pray, and then I'll close this in prayer. So Father, we, God, we set these before you, um, and we do it with such gratitude, thankfulness, hearts full of joy that you have God you have called you have prepared you have qualified those who would carry the gospel both in spiritual care but in physical care God I pray for Josh and I pray for Amber and I pray for Wendy now and Father, as they step into this role, God, would you, you would protect their hearts. As you would keep them in your grace. God, while they've been walking in a, a role of servant for a long time now, God, this opportunity will give the enemy a foothold. And I pray now, Father, that your grace and your mercy and your kindness would overcome. 
God, thank you so much that we have those who would who would cringe at the idea of being noticed about serving. Father, those are the most qualified. We thank you so much um, that out of a selfless heart, these have served us well. And we would ask now, Father, that you would give them God, a supernatural ability to see needs and to come alongside needs, to walk with people through pain, to walk with people through need, and to do whatever it takes to lay down their lives to see that people are cared for, that our church family is cared for, whatever it costs. So these are yours and they belong to you. Father, do whatever you seem fit. Do whatever seems good to you. And we're going to praise you and we're going to glorify your name through the way we lead and the way we serve this family and this community. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I know we're going a little long. Um, I want to... Take just a few more short minutes because uh, you all do not get out of this um, without a challenge as well. Um, you've just seen uh, leadership installed. Um, I want to ask, um, we're going we're gonna to return back to a, 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 the verse I told you we were going to return to. And I want to ask Sean and Katie if you guys would come up for a minute. And I want to talk about um, where we're headed with Sean and Katie because their names popped up also. First Timothy chapter 3 verse 10 said, let them also be tested first and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves um, blameless. Uh, so what's so what uh, Sean's name was also given to us saying hey you know or it was actually discussed and um, about Sean's service as a deacon and leading out in that effort and so just like the rest of them when we had a conversation Sean was like I don't want man just let me do my thing you know it's like that's exactly what qualifies you for a deacon the fact that you don't want to none of this right. Um, so we just really started praying and asked them to start praying about it. Um, and the, the route we've decided to go is for Sean to lean into uh, serving uh, in a leadership role alongside the deacons for a time just to examine. For him to examine uh, whether that's uh, what he, uh, you know, just to affirm that call, but also for the church to do that same thing. Uh, so that's over the, over the next probably several months uh, as long as a year or however long it takes for both the church family and Sean and Katie to have a, a, a mutual uh, agreement on how we move forward, um, that's whenever we'll, we will install them also. Or if God says, just keep hiding out, then we're going to be good with that too. But I wanted to pr bring them up and then I want to pray for them also because they have, um, you know, a few, uh, like a vision ahead with this ministry. So let me pray for you guys and you guys can pray with us. Uh, Father, we come to you now uh, again. Uh, just thanking you for such, um, such horsepower in our leadership. Thank you for, for gifting people tremendously in different ways um, to serve our church and to serve our community. I thank you for Sean. Got his heart. 
um, to go unnoticed, right? Father, I pray that through that, through that uh, character, through that trait, that God, he would become a great leader, a great deacon for our church to serve those in need, to serve our community. I thank you so much for um, how he already serves and how he already leads. I thank you so much for Katie and how, Father, they just bring joy uh, to this family. And I would ask, Father, that over these next few months and over this next um, time period of examination that you would speak clearly to both us and to Sean and Katie that you would present opportunities for us to, to walk in, to, to lean into, so that we can affirm uh, what your will is. And whatever your will uh, ends up being, God, what we do know is that it is good and it is pleasing, and we're going to worship you in it. And we thank you and we love you, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. um, quickly, I'll, I, won't, I, will, I will conclude. Uh, my conclusions are normally 30 minutes, but I'm going to zip through it. First uh, <laughs> Timothy chapter 5. So we got a lot of instructions going on uh, that, that Paul is giving to young Timothy about leading the church, right? Uh, and then he gets to chapter 5, verse 17. He says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. So now he's instructing the church. Like, church, here's how you engage this leadership. Um, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and all the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Sulfur Community Church doesn't need to be corrected in this, only reminded and reinforced. Uh, God has poured out immeasurably more than we could ask or hope for, and this church family practices these traits so faithfully. Like, the, the, the charge is to simply persist in these traits. Like, keep growing in these traits. What are these traits we see in verse 17 and 18? Honor our leaders. Show honor. Be honorable. Let, them, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the labor deserves his wages. What, what does that mean? Uh, well, double honor means like, okay, respect for one. Like, not in a way where you're holding someone at a higher regard than someone else, but respect them as those who are called to care for you. Those who are looking, overseeing your spiritual well-being. Care for them, respect them. And the second part of that is when the time comes, compensate. That's what that scripture says. For now, all of the leadership in this church is volunteer. There's no salaries paid. There's no, there's no, uh, no one on, on, the, on the clock except uh, the, the lady who unlocks the building for us. She's our only staff member at this time. And so our, our leadership is all volunteer-led. But if it comes to a point where it's time for full-time focus, then what he says here is compensate them for that. Like, don't starve out your leaders, basically. So honor them and love your leaders. Let's love our leaders. And I can't tell you how important that is. I can handle a, I can handle a good amount of dishonor. 
but I need to be loved and my family needs to be loved. And you do that so well. Verse 19, do not admit charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. The best way to love your leaders is to stand with them. Stand firm with them. Stand firm against those who would intend to harm them or who, who has ill intent toward them. And if there is a charge that's necessary, you admit it, right? It, he, he'll continue to say that uh, in, in the next few verses. But stand firm against the one who intends to harm them because let me tell you something. Ministry is hard, hard, hard. Uh, it's, it's the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. So pray and fight for your leaders. Correct your leaders. Verse 20, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. So when you guys deal with David, I'll be afraid of that, right? <laughs> deal with him and I'll, I'll stand in fear. And no, I'm just joking. <laughs> but do you see the layer of accountability here now? If one of your leaders, if one of your elders persists in sin, who's not fighting against sin, who's just giving themselves over to it, you call them out. You call me out in front of everybody. That's what the scripture says. And, and I'm saying this because we, we as elders need to be open to that. You call us out because a leader needs shepherding too, right? We need a pastor too. We need a church family too. And elders have been given this family for a reason, the same way that you, the same reason that you've been given this family, it's to exhort and to encourage. This family is to rebuke and walk in repentance with their leaders. Like we're family here, and that's why that's why we pointed it out that that elders and overseers they're part of the church, and so they're, they're to be cared for just like any other brother or sister in in this room. And when they need encouragement, you encourage them. When they need rebuke, you rebuke them. When they need someone to walk them through repentance, you walk them through repentance. They need all of this. Our biblical understanding of leadership includes plurality, affirmed by this family, and this is how we attend to provide accountability at the, at the overseer level, is among one another. Obey your leaders. Verse 21 said, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Jesus gave us the freedom and the power and the ability to obey. He's given us that. And that goes for leaders too. That goes for us too. And the standard for obedience, what are we to obey? You're not to obey just whatever I say. This is our standard for obedience. It has to line up with Scripture. This is your standard for obedience. Every leader in, in this church is placed under the authority of God's Word. And when you notice joyful obedience to that Word, man, encourage them. Encourage them, your leaders. When you see subtle or even blatant disobedience to this Word, wave your flag. Wave your flag, raise, raise your flag up, call it out, regardless of who they are, regardless of whoever it may be. I'm going to read this scripture over you, and then we're going to close. This is just imagining all of heaven and earth looking down over us. 
And the writer of Hebrews would say, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you again. God, I thank you that we've walked so close to you today in the word and in prayer and with these who would lead. Now I pray, Father, that as we, as we conclude our time together here today, that it's just a, a beginning of a new chapter for our church and a beginning of a new chapter for uh, husbands and wives and, and servants and families, households. That God, many have, have been serving in the capacity of elder and deacon for a long time, and I pray now, Father, that as we publicly affirm these, these leaders in our church family, that God, you would pour out your spirit, that you would give them a supernatural ability and a supernatural power. to serve well, to make much of who you are, to make much of your name, so that those in our surrounding community, in our neighborhood, and those around the world would know that Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth, loves his church and loves those whom he's given his life for on the cross. So I pray that we would be faithful to declare that word in the way we care for people, but also to demonstrate that word in the way we care for people. I thank you for a church that who's overwhelmingly affirming and loving I'm so thankful for this church that they're caring. They love you, Jesus. And they want to know you more and they want to make you known. Thank you that I get to be a part of this. Thank you that we get to be a part of each other's lives as we usher in the kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. So God, I surrender my authority to you. God, we we surrender our lordship and our kingship to you. God, I pray in all of these things that we would see that you are a God who would cross hell or high water to save those whom you've redeemed. And so I'm praying now, Father, for the one in this room or the few in this room who feel like they are just outside of your reach, that you would show them just how far and how wide your grace goes and your love carries. Make yourself known to those who don't know you. 
for, their, for those who are cold or indifferent. God, I would pray that you would breathe life into their, into their hearts. We love you, Jesus. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.